All right, everyone. Good afternoon. Good morning. Good evening. What is up? I am your host, Charlie Schrem, and we're diving deep together with another epic episode of Untold Stories, where twice a week we get to talk to some of the most brilliant minds in cryptocurrency, tech, Web3, those who are have been around for 10 plus years and those who have joined our industry just a few days ago. Uh, we're here with you during crazy, exciting bull market times. We've been together during multiple bear markets now. Uh, we've been together through a lot, almost coming up on episode uh, 300. So so thank you all uh, to my listeners and all the countries where I'm in the, the top charts and and everyone who's who's sees me at conferences who come up who comes up and tells me they love the show been going to a bunch of conferences you guys just heard uh, another episode where we we had a live panel from consensus and then I, and then it brought you a few weeks prior to that uh we did a, a panel together in in Monaco so I love traveling and bringing all you guys with us and then those who leave all the the nice reviews too I really appreciate that uh it's been it's been such an amazing time and the best part about doing the show is actually bringing back guests who were kind of not just starting out, but but in earlier parts of their journey, bring them back, see you know where they've been, what's happened since then, how things have have kind of come through. We're uh, super. It's my super honor to to introduce to you guys again, uh, Michael O'Rourke, a founder and CEO of the of the Pocket Network, and actually the whole Pocket ecosystem. Uh, thanks for coming back on the show today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Charlie. Um, and yeah, talking about the markets. I mean, this is my third bear market at this point, uh, and and kind of going through that. It's always um, uh, it's frankly the best time uh, to to be around, in my opinion, in the space. When I think about a, a lot of the stuff that's that happens on a day to day basis, you're one of the the people that I think about because um, to give a little bit of background, Pocket Network is a is a decentralized infrastructure for developers who want to build applications on top of various blockchains and then connect them. So the idea is that you can connect an app to a blockchain uh, through infrastructure that's decentralized. A lot of people know this is like RPC in the traditional sense. Uh, um, but really, you're like the, the plumbing for all of the connectivity from all the applications to all of the actual blockchains that it's like the underlying infrastructure. And so when there's a lot of activity on all of these chains, I'm always thinking about kind of what's going on. Uh, we were on the show together uh, maybe a year ago or something like that. Do you have any thoughts about how things have changed since then? Yeah, I mean, um, the space itself, uh, things have absolutely uh, kind of kept moving along and, and things have changed a lot with Pocket as well. Uh, I think when we, we spoke about a year ago, um, we were probably doing around five to 10 million requests a day through the network itself. Uh, we were just kind of getting started and, and kind of proving the network out. And since then, over the course of about 10 months, we we actually hit a billion requests over the course of, of 24 hours. Um, so we've seen pretty, pretty remarkable growth on that side of things with really just proving out that a protocol like Pocket can, can operate at scale. And uh, on top of that, uh, you mentioned um, community and, these sort of, and, and the people around Pocket. Um, it's just been absolutely remarkable seeing um, how many people are building businesses on top of the on, on top of the protocol. Um, the activity across the DAO and the governance aspect of Pocket has probably been the most remarkable thing for me to, 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 to see from, uh, from, from having thought about this almost six years ago at this point. So um, yeah, what's yeah. that like? 
having governance on chain? What type of things need to be discussed and voted on? Yeah, so so the Pocket DAO um, uh, governs three things. Um, uh, it governs the monetary policy of Pocket. Um, there is a treasury uh, that ten percent of all rewards go to this DAO treasury that's managed by the DAO, and it also governs protocol upgrades. Um, given the the space that we're in or the time that we're in today, um, the biggest concern for everyone has been um, the monetary policy of Pocket and what we can do to uh, basically make things more efficient cheaper for nodes, better for applications, and, and these sorts of things. So we've just had a rush of proposals uh, be submitted uh, on our forums and just, you know, almost, you know, hundreds of comments on each one of these proposals uh, with people giving some of the most thoughtful feedback. Um, and we're, we're, we're a DAO that is actually one person, one vote. Um, so it's not token-weighted governance like you might see on many DeFi protocols. And we've grown from five initial voters to almost 40 now. And these are all individuals who are participating in Pocket, uh, all voting. And we actually, we have a couple of proposals out right now and, and we've reached 80% um, of all voters actually participating uh, in this. And this is actually something that's just, you know, absolutely remarkable to see. It's it's just fascinating. Yeah. So many of the people that we've, we've spoken to that have uh, DAOs and or if you just go on to like, I think, I forget which site it is. It's like snapshot.org or something where you can see all the different, like, uh, or Masari, you can see all the different uh, on-chain proposals for different blockchains. But the biggest problem uh, is like turnout. Uh, usually it's only a few whales that turn out and control everything because most people, whether they're holding their crypto on exchanges or something like that, or they're just not, you know, direct, direct democracy for day-to-day or different like proxies? Like, why do you think you've been able to get such high turnout? Yeah, I think, you know, you can think of it like a normal democracy. You know, you'll get higher turnout for contentious votes um, uh, when you're impacting when you're impacting people's bottoms line, bottom lines. Uh, you'll definitely get people out to vote, right? Um, I think that's a big, big reason why. I think also people are just generally pretty active uh, because these voters, they're participants in the network and they, like I do, you know, believe that the blockchain is going to be uh, uh, as large, if not larger, than the internet. And uh, when you talk about the infrastructure and, and and all these things, you know, at some point, or RPC, um, at some point, every blockchain needs to touch, um, or every user needs to touch a blockchain node at some point in the stack. And um, I think a part of the reason why we're seeing this activity is because people care about this future. And um, uh, they're actually really deeply thinking about um, the nuance, you know, issues that Pocket has, uh, and how to solve them. And it's just something that's just been incredibly exciting to see. Um, we have people reading our constitution that we wrote two years ago, uh, uh, even highlighting whether you know a certain proposal is not constitutional within the actual constitution that, mm. that we wrote, which is just unbelievable. It's just absolutely unbelievable. So every user of this show has had an interaction with, with a blockchain node in the past year, almost probably a decent percent of like the global, uh, uh, I'm say global population, but you're talking about like wherever this show is listened to, those countries, a decent percentage of those folks uh, have touched a blockchain node in 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 the last year. Or so interfacing with whether it be trading or a smart contract or something like that. So this is something that's that needs to happen. And then at the same time, you have this huge opportunity for like centralization of that infrastructure. So in the traditional like tech world, you'd have one or two providers like uh, Amazon Web Services or something like that. 
uh, or whatever the equivalent is to uh, to pocket, uh, you'd have like multiple. And I think I read that like the company that works with MetaMask, it's like they have like fifty percent of of the market share of 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 how transactions are done through through Ethereum. I forget exactly the number there, but it's like how have you decentralized? How have you how have you incentivized decentralization? in in such a hyper technology that would look to be centralized yeah you know we we, we kind of thought about it from from first principles uh early on um it's something that if you looked at the old bitcoin talk forums or e3 yeah. search forums people would say hey we have to incentivize full nodes for x y or z reason oh i remember those and, conversations yeah oh my god I, those conversations were so intense that was like a very can you can you talk about that for a little bit yeah, yeah. People would, uh, you know, most of the perspective was um, how can we upgrade Bitcoin or how can we upgrade Ethereum to incentivize people to run these nodes? Uh, a big, um, uh, uh, you know, a big reason why I got in the space was kind of this sovereignty and, and, and owning um, your own data and, and verifying it yourself, right? Um, what is that? What's the saying? Verify, don't trust. Yeah, don't trust, uh, verify. Or don't trust, verify. Um, and, um, you know, we we got away from that over the last you know six to eight years. Uh, really, um, uh, you start to see you know the original version of Coinbase had people running their own Bitcoin clients uh, to connect our Bitcoin nodes and these sorts of things, and eventually they switched from that, right? And um, the challenge is, as you said, we've got these bottlenecks, uh, uh, and uh, the RPC infrastructure layer is is one of them. Um, so yeah, we, we you know we wanted to make sure that if we came up with a solution that was actually better than the existing status quo. Right. I don't think um, uh, people necessarily would choose Pocket or use Pocket if it was just because it was decentralized. I think it's important to use decentralization um, very much how, you know, people send USDC, uh, USDT, you know, DAI, you name your stable coin. Uh, it's yeah. much easier. That's a that's a 10x uh, improvement on the status quo. Right. Um, so we saw an opportunity to actually see a, a, a 10x improvement, if not more, on the existing status quo. Um, you, you mentioned Amazon Web Services. These are this, you know, there's really three, maybe four companies that handle all of the infrastructure of, of all modern technology today, right? Um, and that's uh, problematic when you've got you know two or three or four CEOs that really decide everything. Uh, we we view Pocket as a as a public good, um, which is why we've started to see so much activity on our DAO because we actually, you know, decided not to keep that power, right? Uh, as we as we kind of grow and yeah. kind of really build a, we're built we're really building a country in real time at this point. Uh, and it's just been incredible to see. As we've learned in the last few months through this this bear market, there need to be more businesses that provide uh, a profit and cash positive cash flow that are always on chain. Like, and I'm not talking about like businesses where you can like securitize the the equity and then you know do dividends. I'm talking about like your company or what's now like a distributed company. That you provide a service to the blockchain industry, and the the node holders get paid for that, and then and then Pocket gets a piece of that. So, the governance of that needs to be like real time. It needs to be able to change rapidly. It almost needs to be like the opposite of of how centralized companies are kind of run. And then and then it's it's really interesting how that. What have you guys learned from growing so rapidly? Yeah, what have we learned? Yeah, <laughs> what happened? Right? I learned. <laughs> oh man, <laughs> um, you know, uh, uh, I, I think 
transparency and communication uh, when you're building kind of a layer one like pocket, uh, like pocket um, is probably the most important thing for me at this point. Um, uh, uh, it's it's very easy for people to fill in gaps if you aren't there um, uh, 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 actively communicating, whether in communities or or uh, through your own marketing material, whatever it is. Sure. Um, uh, that's something that can get out of hand, I think, very quickly. And um, that's definitely one one thing that I've learned. Um, you know, uh, uh, being more clear about roadmaps and and where you're going and why you're doing things um, is just so critically important. Um, I'll give you an example. You know, we've, uh, you know, we grew so fast uh, uh, when it comes to um, kind of just the raw requests. And uh, on the heels of that, uh, Pocket grew massively in nodes as well. Uh, we were at almost 50,000 nodes across over 30 countries providing service to end users who are you know, using Web3 in some form or fashion. And as a result, the, the, the cost of the network actually ballooned as well. Um, it became harder to run a pocket node. Um, it became more expensive. It went from wow. 10 bucks a month to 80 bucks a month. I mean, 50,000 50, of them, like that's pretty expensive. Um, what's really great is that the DAO and various community members came in and was like, guys, this is a problem. Let's fix it, right? And um, being able to provide uh, uh, avenues for people to um, to make those changes easily and quickly is something that we weren't prepared for, as an example. And and that's something that this process has really um, opened our eyes to when it comes to you know developer contributions and and this sort of thing. Um, uh, and now you know we're on track to lower the cost of the network by magnitude, if not more. Um, uh, which is huge uh, when you talk about profitability and, and you know the sustainability of a protocol like Pocket, not just the businesses built on top of it, but the actual protocol. Uh, you know, I think of it. You know, if you're familiar with with video game design, um, you know that they have this concept of faucets and sinks when it comes yeah. to you know, let's say you're using like gold, you know, WoW gold or something, or RuneScape gold or whatever it is, right? And there needs to be a balance there of the faucet, which creates the gold, or in our case, Pocket, right? And the sinks, what takes that that pocket away, right? Whether it's staking or burning, you need a you need a balance there, right? And and pocket is an interesting situation where, similar to you know Bitcoin mining, um, there's an actual physical footprint and a cost to creating pocket, right? Um, so that has to be taken into consideration when it comes to, um, you know, uh, 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 the network itself and and developers buying pocket and other nodes buying pocket and other uh, kind of sinks within the network itself. You're talking about relays. I'm looking at your, I'm, I'm reading your weekly recap. Uh, I have it up here and it's like, you're talking about billions of relays across like a dozen or so blockchains that are the most widely used between Polygon, Harmony, Gnosis, uh, even Ethereum. But it's a decentralized network of nodes that kind of run through this infrastructure. What percentage of these nodes are you guys versus like other people or other centralized infrastructure? You are such an important part of the plumbing of like half a dozen blockchains. It's really insane. Yeah, the company runs maybe 200 nodes out of almost 50,000 at this point. So we're, we actually don't run any of the nodes or run very few of them. Um, and yeah, when you look at the market, um, you know, we're maybe one to 2% of the entire RPC market today um, that's kind of immediately kind of available to us. And we're seeing a lot of this start to spread into many, many, many blockchains, which is really kind of Pocket's advantage in this, because you can kind of think of us as like a Uniswap for RPC infrastructure, right? Where people are incentivized to spin up, you know, Charlie Chain as an example, right? Because they see that 
um, you know, there'll be a wallet, there'll be a block explorer, there'll be some apps, um, this sort of thing. Um, Whereas it's a very different equation if you're kind of a centralized, uh, kind of one of our centralized counterparts in that respect. But um, it's really a, a, you know, a question of, you know, how many requests am I doing? And that creates an incentive for people to want to run these these full nodes. There's been a a bunch of issues with centralized uh, lenders lately. Um, A bunch of them need to get bailed out by FTX. Um, there was, that was related to like centralized type of some, you know, companies, but there was like the, the Terra Luna collapse. I think Harmony, there was a hack X carnival just the other day. Any, is there, what can we do to like, what lessons are we, we're learning a lot of lessons, but what can we actually do to the infrastructure of crypto to like prevent these mistakes later on, you know, bridges, uh, locking up assets in one chain to use them on another chain. What's going on here? What's like the overall theme? And and you're talking to someone who I don't know the answer. I'm trying to, to learn here. Yeah. When you're referring specifically to, to bridges, you know, they're hard. Um, I would view them as kind of early smart contract days. Oh. Um, uh, there were so many, so Break. many, <laughs> so many hacks with these smart contracts, right? Um, uh, and, and you see less, you see less of these hacks today. Right yeah. now, people are building new primitives, which creates new opportunities and and um, kind of area uh, areas of of risk, right? But that's kind of how this the space has has matured and evolved, and I think will continue to. What's been really interesting about some of these centralized lenders is that DeFi has been just fine. Um, DeFi has has weathered this just absolutely fine. Um, I find it quite interesting that it's really the the, the folks that aren't transparent with how they're. Um, uh, uh, using uh, uh, their customers' funds that are the ones that are in trouble rather than uh, the kind of open uh, 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 systems that exist today uh, on chain, which is, which is for me, been probably one of the most important aspects given, you know, of course, you know, uh, everything that's happened uh, is, is not good. But um, uh, the fact that, you know, the existing DeFi infrastructure has actually held up to snuff with all of this um, is, I think, uh, one of the uh, uh, silver linings of, of 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 the time that we're in right now. You know, it's it's interesting that uh, um, we're both in the Tampa we're both in the Tampa Bay region and, and everything like that, and now we're going through um, a bear market. Um, do you did you? And it's interesting that we had like a a massive hyper growth bull market at times when a lot of us were in lockdown at home. Uh, but at the same time, we all need like being physical and events to to really be creative. But you would you could look at the data and almost say like, hey, when people were sitting at home, we went through a bull market and you know hyper businesses and things scaled up. Uh, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think the space that we're in absolutely needs um, physical uh, meetings, uh, whether that's through conferences or anything like that. Do I think there's any uh, relation between um, COVID and, um, the bull market, maybe, um, uh, one could say, one could say that, that, that we were, you know, we've been in a perpetual, uh, kind of macro macro bull for, for, for what, 12, 12 years, at least at this point, um, you know, crypto has, you know, corrected independently, um, uh, over those years. But, um, I think we're seeing for the first time, a, um, a, uh, a, a series of macro events that in conjunction that are, um, really causing everything to, to, to feel some pain. Um, 
Uh, no one has a crystal ball, but uh, I tend to think that these cycles get tighter and tighter um, uh, uh, when it comes to time. Um, I think you know we're seeing a lot of uh, unwinding with some of these leveraged uh, uh, lenders, and and there may be more to follow in the future. I don't know, uh, but I tend to think that there's um, really a ton of people kind of just waiting on the sidelines at this point. Um, so uh, uh, you know wh- wh- whether there's oh, a yeah. A correlation um, between you know COVID and 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 kind of the crypto bull. Um, you know, DeFi summer happened right around that time. Um, so so there are some other factors People got there. A taste of crypto. Yeah, come yeah. Back. yeah. It's an addiction. Uh, yeah, yeah. So so we'll see. You know, I'm really what I'm most excited for is that I think that people are really um, acknowledging the importance of kind of sustainability um, within these projects and and really what it means to have real users and not just you know, not just print money, you know, from from the Fed, but also print money from some of these protocols for, you know, yield farming schemes and you know, name your food coin and 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 whatever it might be. And I think um, we'll actually see a shift to focusing on kind of more fundamental value creation rather than kind of the tail um, uh, sure. wagging the dog or or the snake eating its tail, right? Where you're kind of seeing people jump from chain to chain or scheme to scheme, you know, uh, uh, kind of fueling some of this. Uh, I think we're just seeing kind of most of that stuff deflate today and and we'll actually have a much stronger foundation to build on moving forward. I have to go look, you know, you have to watch out for that stuff though in a, in a positive way, because all of, all of like the meme coin, you know, tail wagging type stuff predates usually that that technology is used first with like games or something like that, or like meme related stuff before it's adopted. Like, uh, you know, even Dogecoin started a long time ago and then all these different things that ended up like, People called them, you know, I, I forget it was like sushi swap and and pancake swap were had bigger volumes than than Uniswap at some point probably. So it's like all the you're right, um, but at the same time, we're definitely going through like a push and pull. We definitely go through this push and pull, and I spend a lot of time uh, thinking about it. But I'm also um, trying to like align all the correct investments and trying to align all of the right people and the relationships to make sure that, and all the listeners at the same time, to make sure that, that everything is, is ready to go for the next, the next bull market or the next time that, that, that you could build. But at the same time, in, in the past bear markets, you would see a lot of people disappear. You would see like, and you know this, you would see out of like every 10 people that showed up, one or two people would be left. And it would be like, but now it's different. Now people aren't leaving as much. There's a lot of money that was been withdrawn, but that's just like you said, sitting on the sidelines. But things are things are different now. And we used to post a meme that people didn't really understand blockchain and cryptos, but now they kind of do. And there's a little bit there's a little bit of like a shift, I think, in, in society. We went through something in 2020. Yeah, you know, if you look back in you know 2014, 2015, and even I'd say 20. I, I wouldn't say for myself in 2018, 2019, but for many people, the question was, will this even survive? <laughs> right. Yeah, right. Um, you know, uh, particularly early on, right? Like no one really, you know, knew. Um, uh, or very few people really had that conviction, right? And it's just different. It's it's here to stay now. I think I think there's um uh, a level of sophistication. Um, there's obviously much, much more money in the system than than there was before. Um, and I think we can pre- be pretty sure at this point that, that it's not leaving, right? Which gives, I think, people more confidence to you know really sit through these kind of uh, times that we're in today. Do you think stable coins will mainstream? I do. Um, 
still excited about stable coins. Yeah, I'm more excited. I'm, I'm more excited about the um, actually decentralized ones, I suppose. Um, Rye is probably at the top of my list. Um, Which it one? only uses Rye. Um, going to, I'm uh, going over to stablecoins.wtf, best site ever. Yeah. Yeah, Rye, um, it's not a dollar-denominated stablecoin. Uh, it sits around $3.11 usually, um, but uh, it's stable. Uh, and what's great is that it uses ETH as um, collateral rather than you know something like USDC, uh, uh, USDT, like DAI does, as an example. Okay. So, um, But I generally think that we need, um, you know, uh, we absolutely need some kind of um, uh, 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 stable-denominated uh, uh, How would it work? It's like such a difficult thing, you know. Uh, Rye specifically, or or the stables? Well, there's stable coins is not a technology question as as it's more of like a game theory question. Yeah, I How think uh, you no, know, I, I think the U.S. is generally going to be uh, positive on stable coins. I think my biggest fear is that we create um, kind of an intranet where you've got kind of government sanctioned stables and and everything else. I think that's probably my biggest fear when it comes to uh, stablecoin regulation and this sort of thing. Um, I fear that the Luna, Terra Luna situation um, uh, will not be good for, for kind of the regulatory uh, side of things and may hamper um, uh, some of this. But um, nonetheless, people are still building them. Uh, it's pretty clear that, that, you know, the pace of growth for things like USDT and USDC, it's just, it's clear. Um, people want to be able to exit you know, from their volatile, you know, Bitcoin, ETH, whatever it might be, into stables. Um, uh, just a question of which ones really win. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, it's hard to say how that how that plays out. It's really, it's it's crazy that DAI is at $6.3 billion market cap. And it's been growing over the last seven days or so. Um, and that, to me, is a positive because DAI is a crypto-backed, stablecoin that's like a, almost a mixed bag uh that's at 150 percent collateral and if it goes below 150 then it has auto you know sells it automatically and there's an auction where it actually sells it at a discount um but but if people were were afraid of the future value of of cryptos in general they wouldn't be going back into die but i wonder what the what the ratio is right now but i agree i'm i'm it would be so cool if stablecoins had the smart contract functionality built into it. So you can like enforce a contract that involves stablecoins on chain. Yeah. Um, uh, I'm sure there's things out there, right? Um, uh, that, you know, people wrap in these stablecoins with some of these smart contracts. Um, that absolutely uh, uh, definitely exists. But it's good to hear that DAI is... is is growing like that in a in a market yeah. like this. I think I think that's a that's a good signal. Actually, it's a fantastic signal. If people are willing to take their ETH and over collateralize it 150 to 200 percent for 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 some amount of die, um, that's absolutely fantastic to hear. Actually, uh, the fact yeah, that it's I'm actually so much. looking the die market cap since May 13th, which is like doesn't feels like forever ago. Six weeks ago, <laughs> that's when it bottomed out. <laughs> And since then, it's been on a growth phase. So let's yep. see where that goes. Yeah, it might be a good signal for, for the market with everything yeah, that's unwinding. Yeah, interesting signal. Yeah. Um, but I, I agree with you that it would be really cool to see uh, uh, more 
more stable coins succeed. And I think that would be like a killer application for for our whole industry, just because that would totally, you know, reinvent the finance as we know it, right? And it would be amazing to have Bitcoin be somehow in in like a hybrid or crypto backed stablecoin in a decentralized way, not where like you could just pump some into the treasury and then you put it in there and then hopefully you maintain the peg and it's one by run got what it's being run by one guy or girl instead of that in like a decentralized way. But I don't know from a technology standpoint how you do that from a from a Bitcoin technology perspective. Like uh there's nothing really unless we're talking about lightning and maybe you'd have to trust the the federation or whatever. I guess that could be something cool. There's a lot of there's a lot of technology advancement on top of Bitcoin lately. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean I think stables have already changed the game. I mean we did our last sale in in January and a hundred percent of that ten and a half million dollars came in stables. All of it. Um uh that's that the world has changed if that's the case. Um, if it's much easier for people to be able to send their stables to us than 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 wires to our bank account, um, I think I think stables have already um, really really impacted things. Yeah, isn't it? It's interesting. Uh, what about another cool product that we can chat about is like the ability to create like a derivative of a future of a future like product, and and so like an example is 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 that. STETH token, which is like represents staked ETH on the future Ethereum merged upgraded blockchain. Mm-hmm. And it's like because that pays out a theoretical APY, you're getting that money now. So it's like if someone has a locked derivative, a locked rental house, for example, you can kind of like pre sell the tokenized cash flow. That could be something that's really cool on chain too. Yeah, liquid staking is uh, inevitable and terrifying. Uh, Why to be terrifying? honest, I think it, if if not done properly, it's a really strong centralizing force. Um, capital wants to be free, and and when you're staking your ETH or in any proof of stake network for that matter, um, uh, people want to make that capital more efficient, and people are going to find ways to lend that um, to 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 allow people to use that locked up capital um, uh, in a meaningful way, um, right? Because if I'm earning a yield, um, you know, whatever it is, four or 5% on, on ETH, on the on ETH2, on the ETH2 chain, um, I might be able to take, you know, however much money that is, lend against it and turn that in even, into even more production, right? And and I think it's, it's inevitable um, that people try to do this. Um, it's just terrifying because it really truly um, is is a is a centralizing force in, in lots of these proof of stake blockchains, uh, and it's something that needs to be thoughtfully considered. Um, I think when uh, as these chains get more mature, I think we have pretty decent efforts with with things like Lido, but um, frankly, I think we need more, uh, much much more of it because it's um, I think it's going to increasingly become uh, a an additional bottleneck uh, to the space if if we're not careful about it. Isn't it funny how like. There was that whole conversation about Bitcoin being bad for the environment and proof of work being, you know, energy intensive. And now as soon as Russia invades Ukraine, we're all like back on the on sucking the, you know, from the oil, oil worlds, like we're all back on this like very energy intensive. Everyone is all excited about it. We're right back on that. 
yeah, yeah, yeah. The world uh, shifts and 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 very fast, uh, very, very quickly uh, over, over over time is something I'm, I'm noticing as I get older, for sure. There's a huge amount of opportunity in doing like natural gas, Bitcoin mining, and using that excess energy to do some some really cool things. Um, we saw a huge amount of of Bitcoin mining, you know, and securitization uh, move all over the world. And it's funny because I think I don't I have to go back and listen to our episode, but I think we talked last time on this like blockchain trilemma issue, um, which is like, how do you say I forget what the th- three are, but I think it's like decentralized, secure. I forgot that I'm going to Google scale. and scale and, and scale. scale. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and going back to what we we're talking about earlier with like. Remember the debate on the Bitcoin talk forums about incentivizing nodes. And this kind of goes back to that. It brings me back to that because I don't understand. I don't remember what the argument against incentivizing nodes was. I don't remember if like the question was, where is this money going to come from as so much as it changes the Satoshi game theory of things. But you guys kind of help solve that. And then basically tackling these this this kind of like fundamental problem. Yeah, yeah, we, we we took it from a perspective of, hey, we think there'll be, you know, many, many chains in this world. So why not build a protocol that um, uh, uh, is flexible enough to support all these chains rather than fit within a box of a certain blockchain? We decided to build our own blockchain to solve these problems for, for, for all the other ones. Right. Um, uh, so so we were able to kind of think about it from from, I guess, an outsider's point of view. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and able to think about it from there. Are people doing merged mining anymore? Is that, is that a thing? Doesn't, uh, stacks do that? Yeah, I think they do. I think stacks, I think stacks does that actually. Yeah. Um, I heard, I heard a great counter argument to, to merge mining where there's an, if there's a large enough incentive to attack the merged mine network, uh, it's like the equivalent of, yeah, it's like. Then, then there's no there's no loyalty to that because you weren't initially mining that that blockchain to begin with. So why would you? Why what would be your uh, economic incentive to maintain honesty if it was considered like just a bonus for for you? Uh, I actually really can't think of a counter argument to that counter argument. Yeah, I'm not super deep into the. I haven't looked into the merged markets, mining. We just spent a lot of time thinking. <laughs> or building. Or, or, or building. building. So like, yeah. what are the opportunities now? Like you've been through a couple of these, you know, a lot of people on your team, you've got some amazing people running your community there. We have great, uh, 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 I get to work with some of your, your, your DAO members and your team members when working with this fund, uh, uh Drew Adventures. Uh, it's a lot of fun. You got some brilliant token economic minds. What are some, what are some like, you know, for the listeners that are going through this for the first time, what would you say to them? I just learn deeply about what you're what you're looking into, right? Um, uh, you know, when it comes to pocket, what we're doing is is what we feel is that we're seeing that we're pretty anti fragile to the market at this point. You have people trying to cut costs, and pocket sure. is a cheaper option. Um, so it's actually quite nice to be as mature as we are uh, during this time right now. Um, but when it comes to to more broadly the space, I mean. You know, now is the best time to learn. Um, uh, uh, really see who's um, convicted about the space, right? And 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 you can read and listen to them. And um, 
uh, you know, all of us are here for, for various reasons, but it's because we think that there's a better way. Um, uh, uh, there's a better way to, to, to live than, than how we do today. And, um, you know, a lot of the noise uh, goes away during this time. Uh, so it's for me, the most exciting time to learn, get to know people, read what they're doing, get to meet them at all these conferences that are happening. I mean, at this point, you can go an entire year straight from conference to conference, probably almost every weekend right. at this point. Um, and it's actually a really good opportunity to meet people. Um, uh, and I can guarantee that they're much more subdued or uh, will continue to be uh, much more subdued, uh, which is the best time to have uh, actual, meaningful and fruitful conversations. Yeah, we're just just going being at consensus like that. I didn't expect it to be that level headed. It was really refreshing. Yeah, yeah, it was level headed. I was there. I was there for the week, too. And, um, you know, we, we, we did take over Austin, it felt like for a few days. Um, but, uh, uh, that's something that I used to, I guess, with South by Southwest, but I was super impressed by the quality of the conference actually. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of builders there actually. All right, Michael, I really appreciate you taking the time and, and chatting with us today and, and giving, you know, kind of getting under the hood a little bit. We we're able to do a nice, a little bit of a deeper dive episode, uh, today, which I really like doing stay away from kind of like the general topics, um, I think by this point, if you're listening to episode 300, you could probably be Satoshi at this point. So th thanks for everyone for listening. And Michael, thank you for, for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me, Charlie. It's always a pleasure to, to be here.